0: Building a a strong relationship with government, uh, with the private sector, with partners, and that didn't happen overnight. That took uh, a number of years to to build that trust. In fact, if you look at some of the first programs we did launch in Uganda, uh, many of them didn't last more than a year or two.
1: Welcome back to the Aid Evolved podcast, a podcast about technology, poverty, and health. In this space, I'll be speaking to individuals who have built their life and careers at the intersection of these ideas. We'll be trying to unpack how we can use technology to fight poverty and improve lives. My hope is through sharing the firsthand accounts of the struggles, the successes, the failures, and the risks of others in this space, we might be able to inspire and to guide people like you who are also trying to make change in the world. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Sean Blaschke from UNICEF's Technology for Development Unit. Sean has spent the past 15 years working on technology and global development in Africa, first as part of the Global UNICEF Innovation Unit in New York, and then transitioning over to start UNICEF's first country office technology for development program in Uganda. Now, when you and I think of someone working in the space of technology for development, it's easy to think of maybe a coder or a geek banging away at a computer in a closet somewhere. When in fact there's so much more that's required to ensure the success of these interventions. And Sean very much focuses on that more. What are the institutions and infrastructure needed to support a technology intervention? What is the policy and the environment the people that need to be in place to make these things succeed? So how does he do this? In this episode, we'll find out. So I started off my conversation with Sean, asking him about the United Nations. Specifically, I asked him whether such a global, multilateral organization, like the United Nations and UNICEF within it, actually had the capacity to be innovative. Okay, okay, maybe not the most nicest thing um, I've asked at the start of an interview, but it's my first episode, so bear with me. Um, Sean was kind enough to point me to some of the many examples in which UNICEF has led the way um, in innovation, in development, and also to speak frankly about the ways in which he needed to push the organization a bit to get it to keep up uh, with some of the most modern technologies. Here's Sean.
0: UNICEF has long been innovative uh you know, if if you look back at our work developing ready to use therapeutic foods uh, or schools in a box uh, you know this is this has been part of our core culture for for decades upon decades. I think the difference was by uh, focusing more on technology, there was a concern from I think many of uh, our more traditional staff. That this wasn't necessarily something that was ripe or ready for Sub Saharan Africa or, or other regions. Uh, and, and, and what we wanted to do was to show that no, tech space, access to mobile phones, uptake and adoption of social media is you know was and continues to boom globally including in places where you would last expect it uh you know Somalia for example has the highest usage of mobile money for point of service purchases uh even higher than than Kenya something most people don't know and without that context you might make a knee jerk uh, decision that hey you know Somalia you know wh- wh- what do you mean rolling out cash payments through 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 mobile money really is, is that is that appropriate for this context and you know as you start to to learn more about how people engage with technology and, and, and how they use it. You know, I think we've we've seen uh, an increasing number of, of of opportunities for us to really improve the way we deliver programs, and that overall objective of ensuring that we do create you know tangible impact that this is a really a key driver to achieving that.
1: Now, for those of you who worked in or with an aid organization, I'm sure you get me when I talk about the frustrations of working between the headquarters and the country offices, the mismatch in expectations and communications, just how these two bodies, even within the same organizations, can often be talking about two completely different worlds or even realities. And it's not that anyone is willfully misleading the other, it's just something about the distance and the time and the gap is making it hard for these two entities to speak the same language. Sean and a group of others uh, within the UNICEF headquarters in New York recognized the difference between headquarters versus a country-level approach. And one of the things they did early on was to break free from the headquarters unit um, within New York and to relocate a whole team over to Kampala in Uganda in order to start off the first truly country-led approach to technology for development within UNICEF. Here's Sean talking about how that experiment Started and how it went.
0: Jumping back a uh, good what is it? Almost eleven years to 2009. Uh, UNICEF, uh, you know, had been working out of HQ to really try to to change the way that uh, our organization dealt with uh, digital health, with innovation, various other tech-enabled program support. And one of the things that we saw coming from from HQ was that as, as as UNICEF is a very decentralized organization and the action largely happens in the field, there was a strategic organizational decision to shift our our focus and resources to one of our country offices so that we could essentially provide a model for how the rest of the organization could integrate these these new practices in. Processes. So, uh, myself, along with a small group of, of colleagues from New York, uh, moved out to Uganda to set up this first technology for development unit. Very interesting time uh, back back in 2009, 2010. You know, we were we were largely seen as as, as uh, a team that was uh, you know doing really exciting things, but not necessarily aligned with uh, current program priorities uh, or providing. Uh, contributing to to UNICEF program results.
1: But here's the thing. At first, after they rocked up and got got set up in Uganda, it didn't work right away. In those early years, there was a lot to figure out. There were so many connections to make and groundwork to lay that it took a while. Sean mentions that many of the programs they started in that first period of time didn't even last a year. And here he shares his experience with one of those programs that, frankly, didn't go very well.
0: Probably my... my Favored example of an early fail in Uganda was uh, a program that we had called uh, uh, the Community Vulnerability Surveillance System. The idea was that we would be empowering frontline community health workers with the ability to report on uh, diseases and uh, stockouts of essential uh, medicines and commodities. Sounds like a good idea. It, it, it does. In, in, <laughs> it, it did form the foundation of one of our most successful programs later. The hmm. the challenge, though, was that we had specifically identified ICCM commodities as uh, a major pain point for community health workers. When they stocked out, they lost the trust of the community. They were unable to do their jobs. And, and, and we felt, you know, if we could address this one issue, that would help anchor this larger program and we would see success.
1: Now, let me just jump in here with a little bit of editorial commentary. Sean and I use a fair number of acronyms in our conversation, which will be familiar to those of you coming from a global health background, but maybe not all of you know off the top of your head. For example, just then, he used the term ICCM. ICCM stands for Integrated Community Case Management. It's kind of a big deal. Basically, this is the mechanism that we use in the majority of these countries in sub-Saharan Africa where we don't have access to formal health facilities in order to diagnose and treat children under five for the five biggest killers of children under five. That's malaria, pneumonia, etc. He also mentions later on in the interview, HMIS, Health Management Information System. These are the software tools that we use in order to collect analyze and report on health data that's needed in order to manage health facilities and organization. I'll mention in a bit, IDSR, integrated disease surveillance and response strategy. These are a set of indicators and standards from the World Health Organization that give us a window into how health systems are functioning, how, how well or how poorly in various countries across Africa. These acronyms and other terminology are available in a glossary in our show notes at aidevolved.com. Once again, that's aidevolved.com. So feel free to refer there if there's other terms that come up in this conversation that you'd like explained. And with that, let's get back to Sean and his discussion about the Community Vulnerability Survey (CVS) that they were running in the early stages of their time in Uganda.
0: Program started off great. We had frontline health workers, community health workers reporting at 90, 95% rates. Wow. I mean a, a national HMIS. If you're looking at the integrated disease surveillance and response, you're looking to try to get above 70% reporting. Uh, so, so again, we had we had tremendous reporting rates. But what we started to see about six months in, as we we saw more and more community health workers reporting stockouts of essential commodities, uh, was that we were not able to do anything about this. You know, I went to the government, Hmm. to the pharmacy unit, and they said, look, you know, these are largely procured by partners, or the funding for this has been set aside a year in advance, and the pipeline, we, we essentially cannot change or modify it to address these, these increasing stockouts. And what we started to mm-hmm. see as the stockouts increased and government and partners were not able to respond to these issues of stockouts was that reporting rates uh, started to plummet. Faith in the platform started to plummet. And what we ended up having to do was mm-hmm. completely pull the plug on the program because the assumptions around if we have data, People will use the data. were wrong in this case because of more <laughs> systemic issues that uh, you know took precedence or priority. And uh, what we didn't want to do was leave such a bad taste in these community health workers' mouths that they didn't trust any digital system, any any government system, any partner system for years to come. And in this case, we decided again to, to stop it to relook at how the entire system, entire program was designed, the theory of change behind it, and start it back up again uh, when we knew and had the right uh, incentives and mechanisms in place to use the data effectively.
1: Over time, they iterated and they refined their approach to technology for development in Uganda, and bit by bit, they figured out how to do it better. How to take a more holistic integrated approach that was more connected with the reality of what's going on in uganda and how it could work within the systems that were existing there and one of the things sean talks about was evolving from maybe a more technology-focused approach towards a system strengthening approach to technology for development and i really love that that mental model around this intervention I'm going to go on a, a little bit of a tangent here but but bear with me as a technologist myself um, we often talk about human-centered design and user-centered design uh, in our technology approaches and and you know this works great in an environment or an economy where that user has the purchasing power to drive an intervention and to sustain an intervention over time but when we talk about working in a resource constrained environment, It's no longer sufficient to take a human-centered approach. You need to take a system-centered approach towards our interventions. This is because you need to consider, you need to take into account where the money is coming from, where the power and the leadership is coming from, how this is baked into the systems that can sustain an intervention when the market economies to sustain it might not naturally exist. That's my interpretation on some of the things that Sean's talking about here. Here's Sean to talk about that change in his own words.
0: so uh, you know, I, I think I think it would be valuable to look at where you know what happened to, to, to CVS and subsequent iterations. Uh, you know we, we, we stepped back you know to the, to the drawing board a bit with this one uh, and looked at uh, other Partner investments, other government investments in the health information system space. Uh, this was early years of uh, DHIS2, uh, which is again one of the most uh, widely used HMIS platforms uh, globally as well as across Africa, and really getting a better understanding of uh, what 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 the government's vision, what the you know what what donors and partners' vision was for this space, and looking to align and integrate, you know, specific UNICEF priorities within this. And one of the things that resulted uh, was a program called MTRAC. Uh, so it was, was relatively similar to uh, the community vulnerability surveillance system, except that instead of focusing on community health workers, it looked at uh, data being collected at health facilities. Uh, it uh, leveraged mobile phones, but but again, taking some of the same principles, we only looked at collecting data that actually needed to be used in near real time. Uh, So, uh, you know, pulling in the integrated disease surveillance and response, IDSR indicators, looking at maternal and neonatal deaths, and again, looking at essential commodities. Uh, But uh you know one of the things that uh was true then and is still true today uh was that uh you know by 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 starting with the frontline with the community health workers uh what what we neglected was the uh capabilities the tools uh the programs supporting the next level up their supervisors at the health facilities and uh, you know, we, we we ran into challenges with this with with the, the community Vulnerability surveillance program where uh, when we had data, uh, when we had actual information, uh, when we had um, uh, tools to help improve uh, supportive supervision of these frontline health workers, uh, their their supervisors at facilities uh, in many cases didn't have uh, the right technology and the right tools to uh, to 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 access this data, to analyze the data, and to use. It. Uh, you know, this is this is something that we continue to face. Uh, you know, up until today, uh, balancing the need uh, to to support uh, you know, frontline health workers, uh, which is critical, uh, but also making sure that we don't move so fast uh, that these systems around them, the support structures uh, at uh, you know within local government at or at the local facilities, uh, that we don't leave them behind in the process. Because if we do, we're creating potential spoilers. And 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 we're investing in approaches that um, don't make optimal use of of either the technology or the data.
1: One of my takeaways from this conversation with Sean is how the technology itself is just one part of the puzzle. There's many pieces that need to fall into place to ensure the sustainability and the scale of such programs. For example, governance is the right leadership in place? Are the right people in political power understanding and bought into the system? Will they provide it the leadership that it needs? Human resources and capacity building is, are there people in place who can read the data, understand how to troubleshoot the technical issues, and map that into real world activities required to run the health systems? And of course, data use and data relevance. How are the information flows that start off with a community health worker using a mobile phone application? How are, the, how are those data flows linked back to supervisors and administrators so that overall the entire system is equipped to evolve and to change over time? Here's Sean talking about how these different pieces came together for him in Uganda.
0: So I think a, a big part of uh, some of the successes we did have in Uganda were largely due to building a, a strong relationship with government, uh, with the private sector, with other development partners. And that didn't happen overnight. That took uh, a number of years to, to build that trust. Uh, in fact, actually, if, if you look at some of the first programs we did launch in Uganda, uh, many of them didn't last more than a year or two. The more successful ones started to take place when we uh, prioritized addressing a lot of the foundational uh, challenges uh, that were preventing the entire technology sector uh, from from being effective, and uh, so back in about 2012-2013, uh, we had identified that the uh, lack of a strong governance structure within the Ministry of Health, the lack of a national e-health policy, the lack of dedicated financing and resources uh, and uh, human uh, capacity in the country uh, was 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 constraining. Again, the entire digital health space. And so that's something that uh, we took a step back. Uh, We worked very closely with uh, the World Health Organization, with USAID, with CDC, uh, and uh, spent a a couple of years, uh, as other projects went along, uh, supporting the government Uh, the Ministry of Health in Uganda to put in place, again, the right structures, uh, policies, and uh, regulations uh, so that uh, our our other investments could be more successful.
1: Now, when it comes to data and data use, I don't need to make the case for data. We love our numbers. We love results. We love metrics. We love outputs. And so do the donors and the aid organizations. But when it comes to a sector which is so top-down driven, as the aid sector, the key question we need to be asking ourselves is, what is the burden that data creates? What is the work that we're generating? And how can we make sure that that work is creating value throughout a health system? How do we ensure that we're collecting actionable, useful data? Here, Sean talks about some of the ways in which he and his team have looked at and tackled this problem.
0: With a lot of our Um, NGO, uh, partners, many of them were collecting data, for example, uh, you know, on behalf of government and submitting it directly to us, uh, which was relatively straightforward, uh, but meant that, uh, that, you know, (laughs) that, that, that we ran a parallel data system, uh, that, uh, um, you know, government decision makers didn't necessarily have the, the most up-to-date information and, uh, really, you know, really undermine national systems. And, uh, you know, to, to address this, uh, we, we had to go back and, 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 and tell our, 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 NGOs, um, you know, I, I specifically said, um, I don't want you reporting any data that's not in DHIS2. Uh, if you send me data and I can't verify it in a government system, uh, we're weakening these national and subnational structures. And it was really challenging for many of them. Uh, you know, it was, it was far easier for That's them to, to just collect the data from from community health workers and give it directly to us. When we said, um, mm-hmm. no, it needs to be in DHIS too, many of them, you know, rightfully indicate well we don't have access to dhis2 so what are we supposed to do and i said well you're supposed to work with uh the biostatisticians the the hmis officers at the facilities that you work to build their capacity and make sure they can do this uh and you know building those capacities uh, was far more difficult than them just providing the services themselves, uh, but 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 this is the shift that 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 is and needs to happen.
1: Yeah, and I think it's very common in our line of work to see that the government is using one set of data, and then the HIV program, you know, funded by USAID, is using another kind of data, and another there's another set of uh, you know reports or whatever for malaria and all these different kinds of uh, programs that are run. Separately, and that that can create a lot of reporting fatigue and inaccuracies in the data. It sounds like what UNICEf has done is has is to the greatest extent possible aligned not not just the the data collection and the data visibility with the with UNICEF and the government. Um, but I imagine you would also need to align a bit the the indicators themselves. You know, like whatever whatever system it is that the national uh, you know family health program is is using to see the health of the of the system, might be the same as the one that UNICEF is using. So that you have a more a more harmonized approach, and that you can all focus on a consistent set of of quality data that you're all invested in.
0: Does that sound right? A- 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 absolutely. I mean, I I tend to push back on. Uh, Data reporting needs from from donors for HQ where they don't align with national systems. Uh, you know these. These uh, national indicators the the health management information system uh, um, you know these these are often reviewed every three four five years um, we need to we all need to collectively have a seat at the table to make sure that uh, they're they're well thought out that the data that's being collected uh, is useful and represents all of our needs and then we need to push back on requests to collect data that's not directly useful for uh for, for 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 frontline workers for government workers uh, because you know our, our our work here is not uh intended to report to HQ our our work is to uh a, address um core issues around maternal mortality around um uh key diseases like like malaria and tb on the ground and uh the, you know as we said again and again uh data collection uh creates a burden i mean it's it it does harm if we are asking uh workers to spend a substantial amount of time not providing services uh but providing reports uh and 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 we've seen this i was uh supporting our for example our nutrition team in uh botswana um last year and when we started to look at the reporting requirements of the national hiv program what what we saw was that uh, many of the nurses at facilities didn't have time to provide other services. And it wasn't that the data that they were collecting for the HIV program uh, was really critical for their ability to provide HIV services on the ground. It was reporting requirements uh, to, 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 to the Ministry of Health and to donors.
1: Another piece of the technology for development puzzle is financing. The elephant in the room. How are we going to sustain the software and this hardware, the services and the programs after the funding or the project has concluded? Sean talks about the balance between local country-led efforts and global economies of scale. One of the things that's unique about software is something that's useful in one country can, at low cost, be replicated to another country. And that's an economy of scale that many low-resource countries seek to benefit from. He also talks about the importance of multiple revenue streams uh, that are not specifically relying too much on a donor. For example, working with the private sector to create shared value partnerships. He mentions corporate social responsibility, which is a portion of corporations that's dedicated towards charity. But he also talks about a desire to lean less on corporate social responsibility, or CSR, and more on core business. Are there ways that we can design programs that create financial value to the private sector while also providing an important public good for health?
0: I, mean, I, I think if you, if you look at the, the digital health space, uh, most of the existing open source tools are still struggling to develop. Uh, you know, sustainable, viable financing models. Uh, we're, we're dependent on on donors, and we're often def- dependent on funds for country-specific uh, uh, deployments. And and what that's resulted in is a lack of investing in again these these larger infrastructure uh, investments. So in the case of uh, you know. Uh, Demogis Comcare uh, being able to step back and say, "Look, you know, we we actually need to uh to invest in local hosting capabilities uh, and fire standards uh, and uh, integration with platforms like like DHIS2." Very few donors are willing to fund that for a specific country, often because the costs are are huge. Um, what 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 we're not doing is stepping back and saying, "Actually, the costs are not huge." If uh, we're able to to, to secure funds uh, to to address this across many countries, and the costs of not doing it are are even greater, uh, and so that that sticker um, sticker shock when 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 we try to um, build in these components for a single country uh, do seem high because they're often one offs, and uh, the amount of uh, the, the the resources required to do this properly uh, often isn't isn't set aside, and 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 so you know just in general in in, in the space uh we 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 still haven't yet uh been able to leverage the the the, the type of investments needed uh to to, to 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 really uh address a lot of um you know, relatively small but hugely impactful components of a lot of the existing digital health tools now now uh, to to the um other side of the partnership coin uh when we're looking at uh, in-country in deployments uh donor funds are 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 finite uh and um you know if if we're not clear up front on what the total cost of ownership is beyond just the app but again the human resources the data the structures needed to support it and 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 look at you know what what are locally appropriate models to support this beyond uh, the pilot or the initial deployment or once it reaches scale uh, again we're're we're, we're gonna just have you know a a long list of successful programs that uh, ended when when donor funding uh, ran out so 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 one of the areas that that UNICEF is starting to spend more time uh, focusing on is shared value partnerships with the private sector uh, looking at companies that uh, you know are are very well locally established uh and have potentially a uh vested interest in providing support to these systems now uh it's it's not often not always apparent uh you know where that business model sits um but if uh domestic resources if domestic financing is insufficient uh and donor funds are finite uh you know the the the, the One of the other untapped areas is to to look at, you know, what what is the role of mobile network operators in taking over some of these services, not on a CSR basis, um, but can we do this in a way uh, where, you know, they see a clear return on investment uh, and have a stake in supporting these programs uh, over a, a longer or extended period of time?
1: One of my last questions for Sean was whether he ever has any doubts about this work, about this sector, about technology, and how he manages those doubts, if so?
0: I'd, I'd say maybe maybe instead of doubts, frustrations. <laughs> you know, quite often we think we're taking five steps forward, but really we're taking three, three forward, two back. I, mean, I think that the nature of our work um, and, and what is required to be successful, which includes deep engagement with government, can be challenging when when governments change, when our ministry um, focal points are are transferred to a different ministry, and suddenly we feel like we have to start from scratch, uh, you know, being able to build up that investment case, uh, you know, convince people that uh, these are the right uh, right interventions, the right tools, and uh, so that 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 is you know can be quite frustrating. I, I would say doubts about the broader approach. I I, w- I would say no. Uh, I would say. Uh, doubts about how we are engaging this um constantly you know what what are we prioritizing because of the the, the very nature of this work that you know we we are we we work with a with the constrained resource envelope uh we have to uh prioritize and uh you know i think i think the question of um, what we're prioritizing and how we're prioritizing uh, is, is something that we should constantly be reflecting on and, and questioning is are these the right decisions? You know, going back to the uh example of um <clears throat> investing in tools for frontline health workers, how how much should you do that when the structures around them are weak? Uh is it is it you know do you take mm-hmm. a top down approach, a bottom up approach? Do you try to meet in the middle? Uh, and so that's that's something that um rather than doubts, I I I think uh, requires uh, regular, uh, reflection and, 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 and honesty, uh, and, and ability to identify where, where maybe, uh, you know, the, the decisions you made, uh, were not the best.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think, um, you know, as you can see with various different products or companies that, that rise and fall, um, you know, on a, on a micro scale, any individual project or product, uh, can, can succeed or can get stalled out. But on a macro scale, you you see the movement, you know, across the industry. You see people are, are being connected more. Data is becoming more available. Things are becoming more mainstream. Uh, human resources are getting stronger, slowly, slowly. Um, and so there's there's a certain momentum behind the movement. Even if an individual project or an individual, like in in one country, things might get stalled out um, for for a little bit. Uh, my my last question for you before we switch over to a few rapid fire questions. Based on your experience and, and all the different projects you've seen succeed and fail, do you have any guidance um, that you would give for, for someone out there who's thinking, hey, maybe I'll I'll try this new thing for something in, in the health or development space?
0: I, mean, I, I would say that probably the most important thing is to get out of your office, get out of your home, and go and spend time. Uh, with the people uh, and uh, you know where they where they live where they work uh, who these tools are are intended for uh, you know there there really is no substitute for for field experience no substitute for understanding what it is like to work with local government or uh, community um, based organizations uh, and you know, I think this applies across the board I've I've equally seen this uh, with software developers in Nairobi or Kampala uh, who many of whom, uh, you know, were, were, were raised in better off circumstances, maybe have not spent time, uh, in impoverished areas, uh, you know, same with, 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 developers, uh, you know, across the world, uh, you know, I think we all need to kind of check, uh, you know, where we are and, uh, what we know and, uh, go into it with, with, with some humility and an understanding or an acceptance that we don't know and understand, uh, uh probably quite a lot about the the, the 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 environment that we're intending to 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 work in or support. I mean for for anybody who's conducted a um a focus group discussion or a key informant interview, uh you know we we know that you know people you know for the first hour people will will tell you what they think they want or you want to hear. <laughs> They're very nice. Uh, they they do, yeah. And 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 whether it's whether it's intentional because they want uh you know a new project or or just people being being nice as you say. Uh it <laughs> to get past that you know you have to move beyond that 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 initial interaction uh and um you know, sit with them you know have coffee have tea uh go to the fields farm with them uh get past that initial exchange to to really get a, a good grasp over uh you know what 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 is really challenging uh uh yeah you know, the 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 people that these these programs are intended for um you know how can they be part of the solution uh rather than a solution that you're 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 bringing to them uh and 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 really understanding how this may or may not impact their their lives
1: nice i, I couldn't agree more um i think it's Sean, i think it's something i I much respect about about your approach um and and i i think it also you know it's there's an aspect of the the responsibility that, or the relationship that we have to these communities. You know, like if we're introducing all these interventions, um, at least having taking the time to uh you know to talk to the person who's supposed to benefit from it and and uh you know like see if they actually are benefiting from it or if it's making their life worse um is a and, and, is a key message.
0: And and I would say I mean we we need to consider them as 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 active participants in their development. You know, we're if Absolutely. if we see ourselves as bringing bringing solutions to impoverished communities uh we've probably failed from from the start uh <laughs> you know the the, the the most effective solutions come from the communities themselves they they know what they need uh they know what will work and what will not work uh and you know we can we play a role in in helping facilitate uh these solutions we can play a role <laughs> in working with national governments to address um, barriers to uh, local solutions, but 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 if we're if we're not coming at it from that mindset or perspective, again, we are we're 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 likely going to fail.
1: In the last segment of today's show, we run through our rapid fire questions with Sean. First one is: if you have any requests, you know, big or small, um, for other donors or policymakers in this space.
0: So you know, we've we've done. A lot of work to develop, for example, the principles for digital investment, uh, and I would say across the board, uh, we, we we still do not, as a larger uh, donor community, development community, uh, ad- adhere to the principles for digital investments. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we've had I've had a lot of talk about uh, uh, a lot of talk with partners uh, like Dial uh, about um, uh, what to invest in and. Uh, what not to invest in and particularly in the digital health space there are many mature tools uh, and 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 so if if we do truly align ourselves with the principles for digital investment uh, we would make a more concerted effort to fund and improve the six or eight or ten existing community health information system platforms uh Complement them, uh, build off of them in that ecosystem, rather than introducing uh, new tools that that might not have as viable a place as they would have a decade ago.
1: That makes a lot of sense. On the technology side, um, could you could you recommend a platform? Uh, ideally, maybe one that you haven't worked with or supported yourself, so that you can remove your own bias.
0: So, you know, when I'm looking at uh, quite a few digital health information systems, uh, tools, uh, many roads lead back to DHIS2 these days. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is one of the most widely adopted government systems. I I think the University of Oslo and HISP teams have done an amazing job uh, with – uh creating those 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 structures at 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 country level often through academic partnerships uh and uh you know i think if 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 you know the 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 pathway to uh success i think for many young app developers um if they're able to explain how their 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 new tools or investments can interact with uh and interface with 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 national tools the more successful they'll be and the most common denominator across countries right now is is DHIS two.
1: Oh, Agreed it's it's everywhere <laughs> where you where you go. Um, looking at some of the uh, some of the different digital health projects, and I know you've you've came across many in your career. Um, can you highlight a very common implementation mistake um, that you that you see that you'd you'd encourage other implementers to avoid?
0: So so so, so probably the biggest mistake that I, I, I see on a regular basis. Is uh trying to fix a underlying program management governance problem with technology. <laughs> uh we I, I see this quite regularly in the nutrition space. And so uh if if, if you look at how nutrition has been run uh at at, at country level, often it's it's uh uh, been set up and funded much like hiv and um, immunization as a as a parallel structure and uh the 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 alignment of many nutrition programs uh with uh national supply chain uh, management processes with with Hmis uh, isn't all always there, um, and so I've 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 seen many countries who have said, oh look, you know uh, DHS2 doesn't include the nutrition indicators, so we're going to have to develop a new system, or uh, the mm. data isn't being collected as frequently as as we'd like, or we don't have access to the data, uh, and and always you know the solution is let's let's set up something parallel on something new. Uh, but, but we, we know from, from, from 10, 15, 20 years of experience that while that, that, that may solve a short-term problem, um, in many cases it doesn't but but what it will do is again undermine uh the larger systems and and eventually weaken all of the systems as a result and so um essentially you know, before attempting to introduce a new technology uh going back to that understanding the local ecosystem uh really understanding is 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 a new technology actually needed here or can we improve uh, what already exists to 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 address these needs um yeah you know, th- that this isn't considered as 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 often as I as, as it should
1: is there I think and you pointed to a few different trends already just of, of the ones that you've mentioned already is there a trend in this industry um to watch out for that you think will will help shape it in the years to come
0: so i've 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 been spending more of my time looking at data science approaches uh to uh the existing information that 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 we're you know we as a larger community as 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 government sit on. You know if if you look at the data within a national HMIS or DHIS2, within uh many of the uh digital health tools that are being used, uh you know time and time again I think you know we 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 see data that's not yet being optimally used. Uh, and so really being able to take a step back, look at the information within these systems, uh, look at data outside the systems. There's there's tons of great information being generated, for example, by mobile network operators, uh, mobility data on on where people are, how they're moving, uh, how they're engaging with other, other, other community members, uh, mobile money data on uh, the types of purchases they're making, uh, being able to identify changes in vulnerability with this information, um, you know, it can, can, can provide a, a, a huge uh new way that that that, that we can support our our, our programs uh, and so um you know I've uh, you know a, a, lot, a lot of the work we're doing for example with drones in, in malawi um and you know I mentioned earlier uh you know don't get uh caught up in the in the latest flashy technology um, <laughs> it's it, so I, I, I don't mean to, i also don't mean to say that that the new latest technologies um, you know don't have uh value uh, because because many of them do the my problem is that they're often uh applied without without a clear problem in mind mm. uh, and 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 applied in ways that uh, again cannot uh be be, be, be scaled uh now mm. To to touch on, I think, one of my my favorite uh, drone and data science use cases in Malawi, uh, the government, uh, along with support from UNICEF and uh, one of the local uh, academic institutions, um, they took uh, drone um, imagery of the long way during the last major cholera outbreak. Uh, They uh, then ran through and developed some Uh, AI and machine learning algorithms to identify boreholes, water points, and latrines, uh, and then map those out against uh, where index uh, cholera cases were being identified. And what they were able to quickly identify uh, were um, uh, hotspot areas, not just in terms of where the cases were, uh, but for example, where latrines uh, were closer than 50 meters to a water point and where we could assume that uh, the actual water points uh, could potentially be be, uh, infecting people. Uh, nice. Similar to this, we had, a, had another program in Malawi where we used satellite imagery, and we looked at um, the location of uh, health centers uh, to the larger population. Now, general uh, best practices: we, um, you know, you you want to be able to access a health uh, facility uh, within about a five-kilometer walk from where you live. Uh, now, mm-hmm. the government's data um, did not take into account. Uh, things like uh geography hills mountains uh seasonal flooding and so hmm. working with government we um we looked at the um, you know we took the satellite imagery we looked at uh, you know rivers and flooding uh, and reanalyzed uh the data for uh, uh, uh health facility access uh and 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 with this we 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 saw areas that um, government and UNICEF assumed uh, were were covered uh, but but were actually you know during certain times of the year not uh, during uh, because of these issues and and as a result of this uh, the government was able to uh, to revise for example where health outreach activities were being held uh, to ensure that a greater part of the population that did not have uh, access to health facilities was still being provided services and so i think these are some some really tangible examples of how data science has been used uh, to 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 impact people you know in uh, communities that might not even have access to to basic technologies.
1: Fascinating and, and what I like about those examples as well is that data science is a, is a relatively cheap technology. you know it's all software. there's lots of open source toolkits out there. Um, and and now that we're at a point where we we have the data, we can do some really interesting things like what you're talking about and there's even a, an opportunity for some of these countries to to leapfrog. Um, other other countries that might have different systems in place already. Uh, one more, two more questions. One is whether you want to offer a kudos or a shout out uh, to another mover or shaker in this field.
0: So let, let, let me give this to an organization rather than an individual. <laughs> I, I I love the work that the the Digital Square team is doing. Hmm. Uh, everything from. Uh, really building out um, maturity models for open source tools uh, to invest in in a lot of these areas that uh, we've struggled. Uh, Again, whether they are... Making uh, supporting programs so that they are compliant with Insta, uh, Open HIE, uh, or compliant with emerging uh, health information exchange standards like like Fire. The 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 digital square team, I think in particular, has uh, really moved. Uh, for the kind of larger uh, systems health interoperability space in ways that individual organizations
1: have, have struggled to do. Agreed. Definitely agreed. Do you have any recommended reading, be it a book, a blog, or a podcast, either related to this field or maybe just something you're personally interested in? So
0: I'm 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 a big fan of uh Wayan Vota's uh, ICT
1: Works. Uh mm.
0: very quick reads, you know, three to five minutes, uh regularly posting and so just keeping a, a eye on what's happening in the space. Uh ICT Works is great. Uh with with books I've uh you know recently read and really enjoyed uh Anne May Chang's Lean Impact. Uh for those who are not too. familiar with the book, uh they married together uh you know the technology, agile development. Uh, world, uh, with the, um, the social impact, uh, and, uh, development and humanitarian space. And, um, you know, it's, it, it is quite challenging. I mean, these are very, very different worlds. Uh, you know, I, I see myself <laughs> sure. in my role with, with UNICEF as a, a bridge or a translator between these worlds. Uh, but uh, you know, I think this this book in particular uh, does a does an absolutely great job uh, at um, I- explaining these worlds and how applying uh, the best practices and principles across them uh, can actually create far more impact than, than than what we're seeing now.
1: Agreed. Great read. Thanks so much, Sean. This has been an enlightening journey, and I really appreciate you sketching out that that overall arc um, that you took, and I think many people in this field have taken, you know, from. From these initial projects towards a much more holistic, uh, scalable view of working within communities uh, to ensure that systems for change are in place. So thank you so much for sharing your story.
0: Absolutely, Rowena. Very happy to, to be invited to, to, to one of these
1: first <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Once again, there's a glossary of all the technical terms and acronyms used in this episode in our show notes, which you can download at aidevolved.com. You can also use the space in order to leave comments, get in touch, or subscribe to hear about future episodes of this podcast. We'll see you soon.